Good morning, people. I know I'm a little bit late getting this interview with JJ up, but I wanted to just wait and see if there was any Star Wars news. I also got distracted by the Dodge Demon reveal yesterday. Kind of cringeworthy reveal with all the marketing people reading off the teleprompters, but uh, the car itself... 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds, 100 miles an hour in 5.1 seconds, 140 in the quarter mile. You don't care, but it's the fastest production car of all time, and I'm trying to get one. Um, other than that, what's going on in pinball before I air this interview with JJ, which I think is incredible? I'll go into that a little bit, but some news items. Um, a lot of back and forth about total annihilation being made by Spooky. Uh, Scott's an awesome dude. I love how there's a lot of people on the sidelines trying to give suggestions about how to make the game better. Game is freaking cool. Just needs some cool artwork and get it out. I also think people are out of their minds if they think that game is going to be cheaper than $6,000. People have no idea. People really do have no idea how to make a pinball machine profitable. I, I, I just don't understand why people want these companies to go out of business. If you think... Anyone can compete with Stern Pro prices. Uh, you're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. And I don't think Charlie or anyone out there can make a really amazing game for $6,000 or less. It's not possible. Good luck trying, uh, but it won't happen. I, I, my advice to Charlie, make 100 total annihilations. Charge 7000 8000 for them, and they will sell out. They're that cool. Don't mess around with trying to appease the pinside crybabies. I'm tired of these guys who act like everything needs to be affordable for them. There are so many people that if you just gave them total annihilation with beautiful artwork for seven, 8,000, they'd buy it because there's only going to be a hundred of them and they're freaking fun. And it reminds people what pinball used to be. Uh, but they won't take my advice because nobody listens to the guy who actually does marketing for a living and nobody looks at market research when they do anything with pinball. It boggles my mind. Everyone thinks that they they have this gut instinct and I watch these companies struggle, struggle to really do things properly. All right, what else is going on? Uh, Andrew Highway has responded, finally. He always does these sort of like two week, <laughs> do I say two week? Two week hiatuses where he doesn't really say much and then he chimes in and, and there was two issues. We brought up the PDI glass issue. He came into that thread and said something along the lines of, we don't use PDI glass. Uh, that's trademarked by the US, by pinball decals. Uh, but we use Roman's glass in our machines. I'm confused still. I, I don't understand what that means. Is is the is Roman's non-reflective glass different than the PDI glass that Pinball Decal sells? And why did Roman come in and not just clarify that for people? So I don't I don't really have any more uh, sense of, of of I know what's going on there. Uh, but who cares about alien glass? What people really care about at this point is their alien pinball machines. And you guys heard my bet in my previous podcast where I will give $100, $100 to uh, the alien LE owner, number one, if, if they get their pin by the time Alien Covenant ships on May 19th. Now, I bet I could bump that up even higher because when I read Andrew's latest post just a few hours ago on the Alien thread, 
I don't think any LEs are shipping even in May. In fact, I just think they're going to try and by mid to end May, just even just show you the art. Let me read you what he says word for word. Uh, just to give an update on Ellie Art, we have told Fox that we need to hit one of either Alien Day or the release of Alien Covenant for revealing the Ellie artwork. This is what everyone is working towards. Games continue to ship. Tweaks, faults, and adjustments learned from the first batch of games are all being worked on, and production is being ramped up. The delay in posting the Dave Sanders interview is my fault and will be done shortly. Okay. So he's spoken. He's spoken. Uh, and I think we're at the point now where you just believe it or you don't. I mean, right? I mean, we've, we've sort of... We've, we've talked about this and months go by and months go by and weeks go by and we keep hearing the same type of update that production is being ramped up. Production was said to have begun in September of 2016, right? We, we counted the amount of months that was. I think it was like eight months ago. Um, so, look, you know how I feel. I don't believe this stuff. I don't believe this stuff. I, don't, I, I would ask uh, if I were an owner... When was the Alien Ellie artwork submitted? Was it submitted before TPF or after? And this whole notion that Fox's delay is the reason uh, this is keeping the Ellie from being shown, uh, I, I just don't believe it. I, I don't believe it would take this long for the Ellie artwork to be approved, especially because we know nothing is being hand-drawn. Nothing is being created uh, that wasn't given to them by Fox, right? So we heard, the last time we heard from him about LE artwork, remember what he said? He said, we're waiting on an asset from Fox. Okay, so in that statement, he's waiting for Fox to give him something to complete the LE artwork. Now he's saying it's in Fox's court and he's sort of like giving them two dates by which he needs to be able to show it. And I, I just, part of me is just so, uh, I, I can't, I'm bewildered that here we are, Alien Day 2017, and we still might not have uh, what the LE looks like for people to see. Remember last year, we were, we were fully expecting the game to be fully revealed on Alien Day, and, and that date came and went. And so this is now a question for you guys and you owners out there. Uh, I do find it really strange that Auric is nowhere to be found in the thread. Where, where, where is the communication from him and his own game? Uh, as we get to uh, this period of games going out and launches, you know, it's just, it just feels really quiet in the alien thread. The threads keep getting bumped down to the second or third pages of Pinside. Not the kind of hype and excitement and sort of fanfare you'd expect uh, for a game that's about to go into to mass production. And I think, I've said this before, Andrew's timing here is tight. I think if he doesn't get this thing out by the time Attack from Mars start, starts shipping, dialed in, and Star Wars, man, I don't know how he's gonna how he's gonna like survive. I really don't, uh, and I just don't buy it. I don't buy it. I've said it. I've said it before. I don't believe uh, that Fox is the delay. I, if if that, I would love to see some proof. I would love to see an email 
or some sort of proof uh, that Fox is delaying this whole process. I'm surprised nobody's called Fox and asked them, uh, right? If this was happening with Big Lebowski or happening with Predator, right? People would go off and try and find the truth out. But for some reason, and I can't quite figure it out. I can't quite figure it out why Alien continues to get this pass and continues uh, to, to just get a buy from people. Uh, when if any other game was asking people to pay in fall or pay money and they hadn't seen what they were getting yet and months and months and months went by with delays, you guys would have gone and found some real answers. But part of me is just like, you know what? I think a lot of people agree with me. And a lot of people are on the sidelines saying like, yep, it, it, it nothing adds up here. When you connect the dots, it seems really fishy. And, and production should not take two years to ramp up to. That doesn't seem to make much sense. Something's wrong. Something's wrong here. And I don't ever feel like we're getting straight answers. So you can believe what he says. Or you could just believe the reality of, of what's happened is that nothing's ever happened, right? All the dates come and go. And again, I... I bet you, you will see no alien LEs ship in May, which again, that just seems bonkers to me when alien LEs were promised in August, they were promised in September, they were promised in uh, January. So what, what's the holdup? What's the holdup? I wish Andrew would just come clean and say what the holdup is and stop hiding behind the Fox, uh, the, the Fox thing, right? It's, it, that's just not cool like i and, and if it's money if it's this just say it say what the truth is and, and i think ted says this all the time people will help you out but they can't they can't help you if, if you're gonna hide behind the same excuse for for months and months and months okay in another galaxy the alien galaxy continues to be in turmoil the star wars galaxy uh is we're right on the verge of it right and today is going to be an interesting day because uh, Stern seems to be at the Star Wars convention. People keep showing the map, and it's we're unclear if they're going to be there or not. Nobody knows for sure. I said they were going to be there. Then I said they weren't going to be there. Uh, we're we're going to find out today. Uh, but here's the thing. I think if Stern is there, you are not going to see the new Star Wars pinball machine there. I highly doubt it. Uh, they may bring their old data East Star Wars games there, and they might have Aerosmith, and they might have Batman, and they might have Ghostbusters. People forget this Star Wars convention is so damn big. It's sort of like E3 or Comic-Con. Uh, you know, it makes sense for Stern to be there because they're in front of all the tech nerds and geeks. And yeah, they might have a few materials uh, to to discuss about Star Wars. I don't know, maybe a teaser video. I just don't think they're gonna do anything. Uh, I think it's a mistake. I think they should, uh, but we'll see. We All we can do is speculate. Specu speculate. We don't know what it's gonna be. Uh, that's pretty much it. I wanna air this interview with JJ. I, I, you know, look, JJ's an amazing dude. Uh, he is my favorite distributor. I have uh, interacted with him a bunch, and he's a stand-up guy. And, and I say this because his livelihood is a distributor. And he has a brick-and-mortar showcase, uh, showroom. He has, it's a family business. Uh, but all that doesn't matter. What really matters is the character of the individual. And JJ has always been uh, such a great guy, such a class act. Nothing shady. Uh, he, he doesn't like tell you one thing, then do another. He's got a list for games. You're on the if you're on his list, you're on his list. He's not gonna bump you around. He's not taking money under the table. 
Um, and he really cares, and he cares, and he's seen this industry for, for many, many years. And so his insights on it, I think, are, are really valuable. Uh, he's got some good you know, thoughts on if you guys are wanting a Star Wars, what you should go do. Uh, and I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with JJ from Game Exchange in Colorado. I'm going to air it. I hope you guys love it. I'll probably be back on this weekend it's to say whether or not we saw anything at the Star Wars convention. But everyone, have a great week. Have a great end of your week. And, and we'll talk to you soon. Here's JJ. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast a pinball distributor who I think is the greatest class act out there in the pinball distributor world. JJ Babich of Game Exchange in Denver, Colorado. JJ, welcome to Canada's Pinball Podcast. Uh, thank you, Chris. Uh, glad to be here and uh, uh, excited to be on the show. And JJ, you and I have done business before. Uh, JJ is the man who got me uh, my Batman LEs. And I have to say... Uh, I really appreciate you getting me those machines. I don't regret finding new homes for them, though, because I don't think the game has come alive just yet. But, but JJ, we'll get we'll get into that. Um, talk to us how you got into becoming a a distributor for for home entertainment devices like pinball and arcade machines and air hockey and all that jazz. So I grew up in the business. I've been doing this since I was six years old. Six years old. My uh... My dad's been doing it for 38 years. Um, I started out working in arcades, passing out flyers, uh, counting tickets, and then moving up into clearing coin jams and, and fixing games. Um, I've done everything from the from the service department of Game Exchange all the way up to uh, parts, sales, uh, and now I handle most of the day-to-day -day operations for the company on top of, uh, of doing sales. Um, so I kind of grew up in the business, and uh, um, for, a, for a very short period of time, uh, when I was in high school and, and uh, early college, I wanted to go into computer science, and then I realized uh, um, after the dot-com crash in 2000 that maybe that wasn't such a wise idea, Right. and I uh, got back into kind of uh, wanting to do uh, arcade games and things like that, even when at the time the industry kind of looked like it was a dying industry, and uh, uh, you know, here I am today, and uh, very happy with what I do, like getting up and going to work every day, and fortunate because i get to bring my dog every day to work too so oh i wish i could bring bubba to work he's he's next to me now looking at his paws i gotta get him to stop though because bulldogs irritate their paws when they constantly lick but <laughs> so you grew up around it now that must have been cool i mean you're a kid and you're you've grown up around uh arcade games pinball machines and did you what, what was that like was it just like were you like the coolest kid on the block that you you had access to all these things and you were constantly surrounded by them so I was I was very fortunate that I got to go to um, uh, amusement showcase each year. Um, about maybe every every other year we we would get to go to that in Vegas and get to try out all the new games and uh, um, would get to go to uh, back when Nintendo was still in the in the uh, manufacturing business for coin op. We would go to the the, the Nintendo trade shows and they'd always uh, take the families river rafting and and all kinds of different really cool stuff. Um, uh, I was there uh, when Nintendo made the announcement that they were shutting uh, um, down. I was uh, in the business when uh, Bally uh, decided they were, uh, Bally Williams was done in, in right. making pinballs, um, and was there when uh, uh, we were a big Capcom distributor, and we were there when uh, all of a sudden Capcom games were worth uh, pennies on the dollar, when they were like, eh, you know, we, we this is a good experiment, we're out. Right. Um, so it's been kind of fun that way, too. So you've seen you've seen this industry go high and low. 
uh, yeah, you know, definitely very high, uh, you know, in the, in the late 80s, early 90s, as my memory uh, kind of comes to it, um, industry being super, super hot, you could produce anything and, and sell it, basically, if it was a box with lights in it, you could sell it, Right. to uh, late 90s, early 2000s, with uh, the heavy demise of arcades, and, um, uh, you know, pinball dying off, and um, video games all going to console-based stuff, Um it got, the business got to be pretty hard, and we've seen a lot of other distributors in the business uh, um, go out of business um, and and not be there. Some of the companies that were uh, there that helped my dad get his start, um, right? And just just fifty, sixty, eighty year businesses uh, close or or shrink so low they get gobbled up by somebody, right? So we've heard a lot about how there were these lean years in the sort of early two thousands, and then. Did you start to see a resurgence when, was it like Lord of the Rings and certain, certain pinball machines started to sort of grow in popularity? Um, what, what do you think uh, was like the turning point that sort of got things back on track for, for stuff like arcade and pinball sort of like in the mid-2000s? I don't think it was until, um, I mean, there was a little resurgence kind of in the mid-2000s. And then, of course, uh, as it was trying to crawl out of its, out of its grave a little bit. Um, the recession hit in 2007, 2008 area, um, and, and kind of kicked it back down in there. And it took until right. about 2010, 2011 before you really got to see the pinball business and, and the arcade business start to, to climb out of that grave a little bit. Um, and things such as uh, barcades um, really helped. It reminded people um, that are you know, our age, maybe even a little bit older, that, hey, pinball's still a lot of fun. You know, classic games are still a lot of fun. And I know you can do it on a console, on, a, on an arcade game, but it's, it's not the same. Right. Um, and, you know, oh, you can have virtual pinball, but that's not at all the same thing either. Um, and you started making pinball social again. Um, right. And that certainly helped immensely on it. Right. And I think, too, you know, when we look at the resurgence of, of the barcade, of the home collector, a lot of it lines up with, the guys who have the money, they're in the prime earning of their careers, right? And now that they uh, look back on, on, on their youth and the things that they enjoyed the most, they have that extra sort of pin money. You know, pin money is a term that is an ancient term that used to mean uh, women would save up their money and, and almost like stick pins in a, I forget what the actual references, but it meant like excess money to buy things you love. So um, it's it also fits for the fact that these guys who are earning in the prime of their careers uh, now have excess income, right? And I think a lot of them, and we see it nowadays, uh, are buying collections for their home. And so when that, when that sort of shift happened, uh, did you just... Did business just start to boom like circa 2000, in like 2010 plus? Did you just see a big uptick in orders coming in for people putting machines in their homes? So we kind of saw two different types of upticks. Uh, the first being, of course, the enthusiast guy who had a uh, you know, pinball growing up or loved pinball growing up and had always wanted a pinball machine, you know, you know loved Pinbot or loved uh, Jurassic Park in the, in the early 90s or something and had this game that he was just looking for. Um, so that was, that was kind of the start of it. And one side, but the other side is, and it's actually driven by the by the, the by the mothers, is people are worried about their kids being out and not knowing what their kids are doing and stuff like that. And so they'll come in and they'll buy three, five different arcade games and pinball machines mixed up, um, so that they know where all the, where all the kids are. All the kids come to their house. It costs them a little extra soda. It costs them a little extra snacks, but right. they know where the kids are. They know who their kids are hanging out with. They have the fun house in the neighborhood. 
And I grew up having the funhouse in the neighborhood, so I understand how that works. Um, and then what we start to see there is then dad gets involved and then mom gets involved. And all of a sudden they, once again, find pinball and they get their first one. And then they kind of trade in an arcade game and buy another pinball. Then they trade in something else and they get the, uh, another pinball. And I always tell people, if you buy your first pinball, yeah, you may not have the bug. You buy your second pinball, you're now addicted. Right. And whenever you need your fix, come and see me because it's like heroin. Once you get past that second hit, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's got you. And you're going to end up with, like some of these guys, 50, 60, 70 pinball machines. Um, it's, been, it's been incredible. Yeah, I've, I've definitely been bitten. I mean, I'm, I'm on my third pin. It doesn't work, but I, I'm... <laughs> I'm on, I will be on four, five, and six. I already know what they're going to be. So, um, you know, it's funny because my mom is one of those moms you described. When I was a young kid, I was about 12 or 13. I have a twin brother, and we used to go to the arcades all the time. And that was like when parents were just concerned kids would get into drugs and hang around a, a bunch of vagabonds. And so she's like, look, I'll buy you one arcade game if you just play at home. And we picked a home use. We picked a Street Fighter Two Champion Edition. It's home use only. I still have it to this day. It's got a perfect 25 inch monitor. Uh, it's it's. And I always tell people this machine will never will never leave because um, it's for my mama. Uh, but so let's talk about distributing now. So in general, what's more popular as a distributor in, in 2017? Arcade machines or pinball? Uh, for us, uh, I would say pinball is definitely more popular. For most most distributors, I would say uh, the gravy's in the um, redemption business. Um, they are, that's the big hot thing right now is, is these, these massive FECs, family entertainment centers, um, and redemption. And, that's, and the redemption games are what makes money in arcades. And that's why you see so few pinballs in arcades out there is that they require a lot of maintenance, as we all know. Right. Um, and uh, and they, they don't earn the money like uh, like a ticket spinning machine does. So we'll dis we'll, our our distributors when, it, when we talk about volume, are they doing more volume of redemption machines that go out on location versus pinball machines that people are collecting? But I guess it's just case by case by which distributor. But some may focus on redemption. Some don't even carry pinball. Um, certainly, in, in, in the old brick-and-mortar, old-school distributors that we're kind of a member of, we're very unique in the fact that we also target game rooms and, and, and pinball enthusiasts, and we sell so many pinballs. I would say that's unique amongst the Betsons and the Specialty Coins who just got bought out and the ABS and stuff like that, is if you go to their showrooms, there's four or five pinballs on their floor, a couple refurbished, a couple new. Um, they sell a handful you know, every once in a while, and that's, that's kind of how it is. Right. Um, and and we do uh, you know you go to my showroom floor today and there is um, eleven or twelve um, brand new Stern pinballs to all different models and then there is another eighteen used um, refurbished pinballs on the showroom floor and another twenty in the back waiting to get you know refurbished and sold. Who uh, do you distribute for with with new pinball machines? I know Stern and are you, you're also doing Attack from Mars. So, so I also do Chicago Gaming, Planetary Pinball. Those are the only two brands that, uh, that that we represent at this time. Okay. Now, how does that work? When you're a distributor, how do you decide whose games you want to carry? What, you know, do you does does it make sense to go after Jersey Jack and Highway, or do you kind of try to keep it more focused? Um. So, as I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, is that we you know we've carried Capcom, we've carried other smaller brands, we've been burned by when they when they go. Um, 
under or don't make it, you know, and those kind of things. We've seen a lot of small pinball companies, game plan and things like that, come in, be here for two or three games, and then fold. Mm-hmm. Um, a business I never want to be in is manufacturing pinballs. Um, what a uh, uh, kind of thankless, hard job uh, um, that can be. Um, I can only imagine that uh, um, Surprise Jack isn't a whole lot more bald than he is because I would rip my hair out doing that job. Right. It's hard. It takes a lot of capital to get going. It takes a lot of years to get pr- uh, profitable. Um, what we do when we look at it is is we look and see, well, what are the product they have? What kind of pinball background do they have? How deep are their pockets to stay in the business? Um, and, and what's their distribution channel going to look like? Um, you know, in, in, in Jack's case, um, the manufacturer is directly competing with you as a, set, as a seller of the product. Um, that's, a, that's a no-win situation for anybody. Um, the only one that wins at that is Jack, unfortunately, because he could run a sale that he doesn't uh, give his distributors, or he could drop the price a little bit uh, if he needs to sell a few pieces to his direct customers that he knows are good and wants to keep in his distribution channel directly. Um, He has the ability to do that because he has double the margin. And so that allows him to do a lot more things. And that's, in my opinion, a manufacturer in this industry, both arcade and, and pinball, doesn't belong in the sales business. They need to go to distribution where they can have people that can show their product and can provide parts and uh, service for, for, for non-enthusiast people, um, you need to have a, a distribution channel. Right. And, and direct selling kills your distribution channel. Is it fair to say that a, a good metaphor or example of what a pinball distributor is is sort of like a car dealership? Um, I think that's the way that a pinball distributor should be. There are there are many out there that are not, that they are more of a Amazon Um uh, but in my opinion, what a pinball distributor should be is somebody that has regular hours where you can uh, go and check out games and uh, and has a parts department and has a service department. You know, it works great. Uh, you know, your Amazon uh, concept works great for, you know, pinheads that know what they're doing and don't need service and um, maybe pre-order the game before it comes out or, or takes everybody else's reviews on a game and, and doesn't have to play it before uh, they buy it. That right. works great, but that's not going to grow pinball. The only way to grow pinball is to have machines where the common public can try them and the common public can buy them and get them serviced. Um, they're not going to buy a game that they're concerned uh, they'll never be able to get service. I mean, would you go buy a Daewoo car today knowing that you can't get parts and service for it? Right. The answer is no, you wouldn't. Um, so you're not going to grow pinball by just kind of Amazoning pinballs to, to the end users. Right. And I think we've seen, too, with, with Stern's distribution um, method it makes makes Stern much more successful because they basically have a sales force out there like Game Exchange where where they're you know, fundamentally they're showrooms right where people can come in try the product um, feel good about buying it you guys set it up in their homes you, they feel good about uh, there's there's customer service there's uh, there's maintenance that that they can get from the distributor and how many distributors does Stern do you do you know how many they have in total. I don't. Um, I know most of the time there's one or two in each country that they that they have. They have a master dealer usually, um, but the United States they they they, they went a different way. Um, they have many more distributors. I would guess the number is somewhere around thirty uh, uh, distributors uh, across the country, um, and uh, with those being about uh, 40 percent old school brick and mortar distributors, um, and then. Um, more pinball pen, distributors uh, in there right. as well, and then some just uh, um, guys who just 
drop ship and things like that. Right. And and I know that your name comes up a lot. I th- you're one of the biggest Stern distributors in America, correct? Correct. Okay. Um, and so I think that's a really interesting point you're talking about because I think some of these new companies that, that come out and try to compete and, and become a viable business without a distribution model, I mean, we've seen it time and time again. When you're buying direct from the manufacturer, if any issues happen with that manufacturer, uh, we see people struggling to get refunds. We've seen people lose money. Um, And I think there's a lot of peace of mind that distributors give pinball buyers, uh, knowing that there is someone there who has their back should there be a manufacturer issue, right? I mean, that's one of the benefits of having that middleman uh, sort of help you with your, 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 your purchase. We, we've been around the business long enough that uh, when a new um, distributor comes to us and says, hey, I, uh, I want to build a, a, a pinball machine and uh, I've been in this business this long and we know what questions to ask, like the deep pockets and the things like that, but we also know how to um, protect ourselves and protect our customers, you know, saying, hey, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll put in a purchase order, but we're only going to put in 250 bucks. That's all we're going to ask from our customers. Mm-hmm. That way the losses are minimal or... You know, we're going to take the money and we're going to put it in an escrow account um, and uh, we'll both have title to the escrow account, but uh, uh, you can't touch that until the bill of lading is, is, is shown the games have shipped. Right. You know, things like that. Not letting these companies um, necessarily finance themselves with, with your money. Um, you guys are, you know, buying games and letting people finance themselves with your money without really getting any equity in the company, really, right. at all. And that's, that's dangerous. Yeah, it's very dangerous, and we've seen it not work out more times than it has worked out for customers. So, I I really think that um, if we look at even I know even like today, Dutch Pinball came out because I know they're having a big issue with their manufacturing. Um, their main distributor for Big Lebowski is Coin Taker, and individuals who bought through Coin Taker can always get a refund because Coin Taker holds the money. But individuals who bought directly from Dutch. Uh, are, are stuck, right? And I, and I think that's another ex- good example of why I think going through a distributor is always the best way. Now, JJ, you guys you, you guys distribute Stern, and I think Stern is like the company that no one ever has anxiety or fear whether or not they're going to get their game. Let's talk about what it's like being a distributor for the juggernaut. When I talked to George Gomez, he said they had 92% of the business. Do you, do you agree with that number? Does that number seem a little large, or do you think that's pretty spot on? I would say that's pretty spot on uh, worldwide. Um, probably domestically, that number is maybe 85 or 90 percent. But I would say uh, internationally, absolutely, they have a massive um, international following as well, and has been building it every year. Um, that's Gary Stern's sales market. He he works with all the distributors directly on that and flies. And if you if you ever talk to Gary, he's a lot of times in Dubai or he's in France or he's in Italy. Um, one of his markets he's been kind of talking and, and working on. It sounds like when I've kind of talked to him is China. Um, a huge emerging market that um, uh, I've never seen reports of pinball there, so it could be very exciting. Right? Yeah, we're 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 pl- we're paying close attention to home pin and what they're trying to do over there in China. It's going to be interesting to see if Mike can can build a, a company from the ground up and build every part. Um, so Stern's got a big big chunk of the market. I, they almost have no competition. I, I say that all the time on this show. Let's talk about Stern because they're they're sort of like the hot commodity right now. And what was 
what was it like over the last few years? Like since you've been in the last, like, let's like just take a look at the last five years of Stern. What have been like the hottest titles in terms of people banging on your door being like, I want this, I want this, I want this. Um, you know, certainly ACDC was very hot. Uh, Ghostbusters has been incredibly hot. Um, and is still extremely hot. I can hardly keep in my building. Um, uh, Tron was, was very, very big um, in that period of time. Metallica has done very well. Walking Dead has done very well. Um, Kiss started out doing well and kind of uh, slowed quickly. Um, uh, there was no, there was no, what about WWE? Did, wasn't that like the title? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, wait, I, I saw that one, unfortunately, as a title that really wasn't going to take off that well and, and, and it's been proven. The, the title that kind of surprised me in, in the longer legs was Mustang, um, was that, uh, after it kind of quit being produced, they kind of kept pushing some code out for it. It's actually became a pretty darn good game. Right. When when titles like WWE and Mustang come out, do you got when? How does it work? Like, do you guys only get what customers have purchased, or do you guys put in an order just to have some supply to put on the showroom and and walk us through like what happens with sort of like those titles that don't quite pop. So hopefully I guess the title correctly. Um, uh, me and the old man, Rich, my dad, uh, sit down and we kind of chat about what we think the uh, uh, demand on the title is going to be. And, and most of the time we get it right, like WWE, and sometimes I get it wrong, like Kiss. And um, we order what we think we need for, on LEs, a, a year supply of the game, uh, above and beyond what um, we sell on pre-order. And uh, a lot of times in cases like... Uh, um, Ghostbusters and, and Metallica and things like that; those are gone before they're ever, you know, this day or day or two after they're, they're announced, they're just gone. Um, in the case of Metallica, they were gone in three hours. I was on a cruise ship in the middle of the ocean um, when that game was released. I had such slow internet; all I could do was take orders, and I had to ask customers, "Why is this game so hot? I can't see the pictures. What is going on?" And they're like, "Oh my God, the artwork's amazing!" And right. um, I, I was as blind as could be. You know, we had heard Metallica was coming out, and you know, I'm a big Metallica fan. Uh, that's right around my age group and things like that, but I felt like it was a little bit too young for pinball, um, and that I have for, and I thought it that it really wasn't going to be a huge seller, and then the artwork and the layout came out and it blew up. Um, right, and that was so, that was so, surprise everybody. Yeah, JJ, how does that work? So let's take Metallica as an example. So Metallica LE gets announced, and. So have you already put in an order for a certain number based upon you and your dad's sort of analysis of what you, how popular you think it's going to be before Stern even puts out their official announcement on the game? So Gary's team usually tells you um, your allotment is going to be XYZ. And in the last few years, they've gotten even better about communicating that. They don't usually say what the game is. They just say your next game allotment, usually a week, two weeks before, your next game allotment is going to be 50 games. Okay, and that's before and, uh, they announce it. They're like, you're going to get 50 of the next LE. Correct. And okay. then and then you kind of uh, um, try to figure out what the game is going to be a little bit, and usually you can get a little feel for it. Um, but you never get to see pictures. You never get to see layouts. So are you ordering... Are you ordering against that allotment? Like, So, for example, if Gary says, JJ, your next allotment of the next LE is 50, do you then say, I want all 50, I'll take 20, and that's how you do it? Um, so, so usually if you think the allotment's too low, you say, guys, I really think this is going to be a better title for me. I'd like to see some more. And they say, well, too bad, or okay, we think we can get you a little more. Um, or if you're, or you're real high, 
and, and you know you're real high, you can you can say, you know, guys, I think I'm too high, and they appreciate that because then they can offer that to, to another distributor right. who might have the marketplace. Because I could just see but, Gary calling you up and be like, hey, JJ, your allotment for the next LE is 500, and it's like, and good news, it's WWE. <laughs> like you're like, what? Like I don't want 500 WWEs. So you you get a choice on on, on what you take on that, and uh, um, they're not kind of binding um, on that number um, right. until. A few days after that, then, then you put in your purchase orders for, for how many you really want. So by okay. then, you've got an idea of how things are going. Um, and usually with, with, with the love of Pennside and, and uh, sources that many Pennsiders have, yeah. in, including yourself. Um, Everyone knows. We usually, we usually have a pretty good idea of what's coming. And uh, even sometimes a few little uh, corner pictures or something is leaked out that I've seen. Um, so you're in, the same boat, you're in the same boat as me and the rest of the Pinside people? Like, they don't, you don't know the next, like, four or five titles as a main, main major distributor for Stern? You guys are – my source of information is usually you guys. You guys have better sources because um, the employees we talk to constantly day in and day out, um, the sales team and stuff like that, are watched so carefully and so closely – with that stuff that, that they don't, that they're not willing to leak or talk or do anything about that stuff. So, um, wow. you know, I've tried, I've tried to ply Gary with lots of vodka method. Um, that doesn't work. Um, I, I've tried taking shots at the, at the VP of sales over there, John Gloria, And, uh, um, you know, his favorite go-to is the hello kitty with a free kitten with every game. <laughs> so, uh, he, he's got his go-to thing that he always goes to if you push too hard and, uh, right. you'll hear him say it every once in a while and they hide it well. Right. Let, let's talk about the last few really sort of hot titles. I want to talk about Ghostbusters because that one just sort of blew up, right? The the demand for that game was through the roof. There were, I believe, 500 LEs, right? 250 went to the States and 250 overseas. Uh, we, we are Ghostbusters just like spoken for. I mean, because that title leaked. Like people were passing around stuff and, and it seemed like it was sold out before it even got announced. That's pretty much kind of how it went is uh, uh, our wait list kind of got first crack at it as, as things became a little, little more true and stuff like that. And um, uh, so that it, it was, I think I had three or five available to the general public that I had held back just to have something on release time um, right. out there. But uh, yeah, it... Uh, um, how many were you allotted was, in terms of LEs? Um, trying to remember. I want to say I was somewhere right around uh, 35, I think. Okay, so you, that's a that's a great percentage of the overall um, that were out there. So, thirty five, and when they started to have some of the issues, did have you had to replace any playfields for people, or have, you, have your customers been uh, been okay? No, certainly, I don't think there was anyone that was unaffected by that. Um, uh, that was um, a playfield nightmare. Right. Um, and uh, Stern is still kind of finishing up, taking care of people on those, and getting them taken care of. I would say that uh, about two thirds of my uh, my playfield issues that are out there that have been approved are waiting to be uh, taken care of. But I only had, I believe, one or two playfields that were um, not opted to be replaced. That were what they said uh, we're, we're going to come back and look at them again in, in wow. six so months when the program's done. There's still backlogged on on getting those replacements out for people. That that's it's taken a while, right? I mean, this is. Um this is we're we're in April now of 2017, and I, I, that game, I believe, if I'm guessing right, was a May 2016 announcement. It was, if my memory serves me correct, it was a March or April announcement, and starting to ship in late May. Right. So we're coming right. up on, on on ten months uh, of this process, and the problems probably started showing up in June and July. So we're about um, eight months, but I think that they really had to 
and smartly so, make sure they had the problem identified, fixed, and tested, that, that they weren't sending people a second batch of bad play fields right. out. Um, and there were a few people that, that early on that had reported that, and they, they pulled back and even stopped for another two months to make sure that they you know, weren't, weren't just shipping out things and really upsetting customers. They want to make sure they got it right the second right. time. Um, so that, you know, as long, in my opinion, as long as they said, hey, listen, we're going to take care of this, 95% of my customers were like, hey, once you guys get it ready, send it out. As long as I know I'm in line, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I actually, you know, like we all know Stern's going to take care of everybody. I actually think it if you have a play field that's got ghosting or some chipped uh, clear coat, man, just play the hell out of it knowing you're going to get a new one, right? I mean, I would be on that thing like 500 times a weekend knowing that a new one is, is coming down the road that's going to be brand new. Uh, it's like rolling rolling back the odometer on the car. So, um, all right, so Ghostbusters issues they're working on it. Hugely popular title. Stern learned their lesson, hand-drawn artwork. Uh, let's go to Batman. So Batman gets announced, and that's another title that just seemed to sell out before they even showed anything, they announced it, but no one had seen anything. And already the Ellie's and then the Super Ellie was part of this package. What were your thoughts when you saw Stern sort of go into that high-end boutique price point with Super Ellie's? Um, I thought it was uh, a little strange um, and uh, very different than what Stern has done in the past. And it turned to have worked out well for them. Um, uh, they ended up having to increase the number of production because they had so much demand and so many people asking for it. Um, and, uh, you know, still had people that they had to tell them, sorry, no. Um, and it's been very, very well, um, for them. And they, they, we've sold a lot of premiums. We sold through all of our LEs, um, before, you know, pictures were ever shown. Right. Um, and, and we had, we advocated for, for several of our customers who asked us to advocate for them to try to get them super LEs, um, as well. And, and they all got those. So it was definitely a, a process, um, and did um did those customers so the customers who might have you know might be like longtime customers of yours or just they they love the theme they come to you and say hey like we'd love to get a super early do they all have to do the silly like YouTube video submission application junk or did you help them sort of bypass some of that nonsense that Stern was requiring people to to do um, to get the, one. The they still did that, but we submitted them for them and then kind of wrote the letter for them um, okay. on top of the video saying, hey, listen, this is a customer that's bought X number of games, serial numbers listed off. You know, they're a big Stern collector or uh, um, a huge Batman fan or, you know, whatever. Here's what they've done for pinball. They, uh, you know, host uh, uh, League Night at their house, you know, once a month. They bring sh games to shows. Um, it, it it almost feels like these are like references trying to get your kid into college, right? I mean, it it's it's pretty amazing what Stern was able to accomplish with those super LEs. Um, look, let's hope the code comes out soon because I've been jumping on a bunch of Batmans, but I, I still think it's got some code to go before the game wakes up. But um, we know the greatest coder on the universe is on it, so we should see that soon. So, JJ, talk to me about... And, you know, as I think about where we are with the popularity of, of these LEs and, and, and Stern seems to just keep, keep hitting like hit after hit, after, hit, hit ugh, can't even talk, hit after hit after hit. Um, do you just have like a list of guys that are just like, yo, JJ, just put me on a, a never ending list for the next LE. And it's just like that list just exists. I have a few guys that are like that. I really honestly try to frown upon doing that too much. Um. Because it, it, it's a great customer to have, but you want 
you want them to have some input in what they're getting and stuff like that. I always have a few guys that uh, um, have told me to make sure they reach. I reach out to them first, and um, I have guys that uh, you know call and say, "Hey, I want to be on this wait list," and um, I'll make a wait list uh, for, for whatever the next designer's next game is. So, like, I have Steve Ritchie's next up and coming game, or I have uh, uh, um, John Borg's next game. Um, where I'll do a wait list and I, and I won't take any money on it. It's just a wait list for, for me to kind of call you and say, hey, guys, um, I think this is coming out soon. Um, right. uh, you know, I think we've all heard the rumors. What do you think? Um, that's kind of how I do it versus just having this reoccurring list where it's, where it's all the time and, right. and having people always send me money. I really don't like to take money on games that aren't announced. It feels sleazy and dirty to me, um, and I just feel like I'm selling vaporware, so I don't right. like to do that. Well, and I have to... I have to really commend JJ because uh, even in my dealings, <laughs> you know, we all know what the next Stern title is going to be, and it's 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 coming from a galaxy far away, and and the demand and the excitement for that theme is is astronomical, right? And as a distributor, it's this situation where you know you're not allowed to take money beforehand on any and uh, any title before it's announced, right? And so. Talk to us about what it's like managing those sort of dream themes that are, you know, like the worst kept secrets, and you've got to manage all this inbound interest in it, right? So do you just do it like fair and square, like, hey, whoever called and inquired about it and wanted to be on Steve Ritchie's next game, I'm just building a list in that order, and that's it, like... I'm not going to take your thousand dollars and get you to the front of the line. I'm not going to, you know. How do you do it? That that is how I do it. Is if you're if you're on the line and that that's uh, where it is, and and, and you're going to get that first line, and I'm going to run down my list and, and um, either blast out emails or make phone calls and things like that, um, and say, listen, uh, we're getting close. What are your thoughts and things like that? One of the things that's made it hard, and you mentioned it, is you can't take deposits on stuff before before it's really announced. That's frowned upon. It was forbidden from Chicago Gaming on their title, and that's really hard to make sure that your people who run your waitlist get an adequate ability to make a decision and buy one, and still give an opportunity to strike while the iron's hot and go after right. that fresh hot thing. And that's that's currently the battle I'm internally fighting myself. Um, with myself is that uh, how do I properly make sure that you're on my Steve Ritchie's next release, Chris? You know that um, you and your I think your brother are on there, and um, um, so how do I make sure that you know you who have been on there for almost a year now, I think, um, uh, are given a fair shot to, to to make a decision on what you want to do without me missing out on a, a sale if you say you know what it's not for me right you know, shock the hell out of me um how do i how do i balance that and that's kind of where i'm in in my own head right now that was that was really hard on um uh, on a attack from mars le and uh um what i did on that one and it, it it worked um i didn't have any complaints was i i sent out the email blast um right at right at uh, two o'clock when we were allowed to um and 15 20 minutes later i made the blast to my regular email list and my facebook and things like that um, but have you sold out of your LEs for Attack from Mars? Oh, oh yeah, I sold out. Uh, I sold out uh, Friday night um, at, at the show, and then I managed to. A few people dropped out. Their wives found out. Things like that. <laughs> uh, I managed to get my hands on a few more as well. So I was able to increase, uh, you know, what I had out there. Um, how right many? Now, are they making a thousand LEs, or how many are they making? I believe they're making a thousand LEs. I believe it's 500 domestic, 500 uh, are planned to go overseas. There could be some more that uh, don't make it overseas, uh, but I believe that's that's the plan. 
Right now, I had a cancellation yesterday. I think that's available up on my website, um, but uh, uh, otherwise, I am completely sold out on those. Right, that's good. It's good. It's. I mean, it's. I. I think that title looks amazing. I. I actually really like the green armor on it. As much as people were complaining about it, I think it. it it's a. It's a stellar package for for the money. Um. Well, so I think that's sort of where we're at. And I guess what I'm always curious about too, JJ, because I. The other industry I'm really into is the auto industry, and I think I think you're a car guy too. Am I just making that I up? Am. Or, okay, no, I so, am. I am. Yeah, you're a big car car head. Um, the in the auto industry, you know, when something like a Star Wars comes out, and I think a good sort of equal sort of hype car is like the Ford Shelby GT350R, right? It's like this hot performance car. There's way more people that want it than Ford can make. Same thing will happen with Stern and Star Wars. Um, now, the difference in the auto industry is that dealers mark up the product, right, based upon the demand. But the distributors, uh, for the most part, don't do that in pinball. Do you think the day is going to come in where distributors say, well, why should I just sell the game at MSRP to Tom, Dick, and Harry, and they're just going to go flip it on eBay for five thousand more. When I could just, you know, knowing that my wait list for the game has a hundred people above what I'm going to get, I could just mark the price up for each one by three, four grand, and still sell every one. There are some distributors who do that, and 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 in the past, I've kept a couple holdbacks for what I call retail sales for my showroom floor. Right. Um, um, I haven't done that in the last few titles because they've blown out so fast that I feel kind of guilty doing it. So I just I just kind of let it roll. But you also have to look at the long term on it, and that's what I think car dealerships miss a lot. Right. Is okay. So you've bought a lot of games, or you, you, I got you managed to get you a um, in your case Batman LE, and now you've come to me and you you've ordered other games and, you, and you're on my wait list and things like that. I have to look at the broader stroke, the longer distance on that. For when I get a Kiss LE or when I get a WWE. You know, you're probably going to come to me even if it's not as a desirable title, and I got to think about it that way too. Right. No, and I, I think it's it's honorable and it's great. I mean, nobody likes car dealerships that charge over. I mean, I went down to uh, a Dodge dealership in in White Plains the other day, and they were still charging ten thousand over for a Hellcat, and I'm just like, man, I can go on the internet and find this car for sticker, uh, like in in a hundred different locations. Uh, and it, it, you're right, it doesn't it doesn't create a loyal customer base if, if you're doing the markup stuff. So, and I, you know, I think that there's so many exciting games coming down the pipeline that while there will be a mob to get Star Wars machines, my hunch is they're going to make uh, a decent amount of LEDs. I also think they're going to do what they did with ACDC, and I think they're going to make other editions of the game, sort of a la Lucy editions, that uh, if, you know, if you rush in and get the LE, I think there's going to be more additions down the road that actually become the rarer kind of collectible one because it'll just come at the end of the run. Um, but again, pinball should be played. And I'm saying this as a collector. The games should be played. They should be flipped. Uh, no pinball is a great investment per se. While the But what must help you, JJ, is that the value of these machines does hold pretty damn well, right? And that's got to be one of the greatest selling points as you're talking to people about buying a pinball machine do you do you do you, do you agree I, I do agree and and i do see that you know some people kind of have the wrong idea just like you said you know they're pin investors uh they think they're buying a game that's going to blow up in value because they've gotten lucky on acdc and they got lucky on tron ellie but in the great uh, the, the great 
idea of it, most of the time, you're not going to make money on buying a pinball machine. Uh, that's not going to be the case. The same as a car. You know, a few people early got in on PT Cruisers, turned around and flipped them and made some money. You don't know why. Don't ask me that question. Um, but um, in the great majority of times, it's going to depreciate. That's how they're depreciating assets. Right. And yet, look, even if you do flip a game quickly for a grand or two, uh, you know, I've, what I've learned, too, is, you know, so you made a few bucks, but you never got to enjoy the game. It's this weird, you know, I always have, like, like I sold my Ghostbusters LE before I ever played it, uh, and I kind of am kicking myself now because it's just <laughs> such a fun game. Like, why, why, like, and in New York City, like, a grand or two, like, that I just went to the vet. I took Bubba to the vet twice in the last week. It was fifteen hundred dollars for two vet visits, and the damn dog is fine. <laughs> I don't even know what the hell I paid for, but you know. So I I have a new approach that every game I get moving forward is going to be something I flip and enjoy. And 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 Star Wars is just sort of like a dream theme for me. Um. So JJ, uh, as a distributor, uh, is there anything you think? If you could give any advice to the manufacturers out there in terms of like what you're seeing consumer demand be for themes and titles, do you think there's enough variety of themes for the kinds of families that walk into your showroom? Um, yeah, the one thing I see that's a little bit limited on my on my showroom right now is there is nothing for the the kids right now. Ghostbusters is probably the closest thing to it. Um, and Stern in the past has done kids themes Shrek and, and things like that. Um, they're kind of overdue for a good Disney game, but that doesn't really in demand for the general collectors. You and I are probably not going to buy a frozen pinball machine. We're just not going to do it. It doesn't have any interest in it. And there are pinball collectors who will buy it for their kids to keep their wives happy and their kids happy right. at home. Um, but, but the general pinball community isn't going to buy a frozen LE pinball machine. Yeah, I mean, Brenda would make me buy a Frozen Super LE, like, Olaf edition. I, I would, <laughs> She would force me to buy that. Um, but I agree. I think there's... there's, an, there's and, and Jersey Jack's trying to fill that void of sort of family-friendly titles. I think the challenge is what kids love is, is not really brought to market in pinball. It's like they bring themes that parents love when they were kids... For example, the Jetsons. You know, I, 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 as I look at that title, it's it's for kids and families, uh, but there's no kids that are into the Jetsons these days. Uh, so it's kind of it's kind of a shame that there isn't that crossover title. Now, if I were to look at a crossover theme that I think Star Wars, I think kind of does it. I know all kids are into Star Wars. You know, if you if, if it, it seems like it's just as popular nowadays as it, as it ever was. Uh, it seems that Toy Story is a rumored theme for Jersey Jack, and if that comes out, I think that could be another title that transcends both generations. Do you think Stern, from what I'm hearing, Stern's upcoming titles are definitely not going to be uh, family-friendly kid kid romps? I think they're going to be much more geared towards the the older male demographic. Um, from from the rumors I've heard as well, I would agree with that. Um... Stern has really done well on on going on their 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 mid to high thirties to, to to sixty year old age group. That's been their their bread and butter, and they've done well with the, the hair bands, the bands from that, and they've done well on the um, kind of cult themes like Ghostbusters and, and that kind of stuff. How's Metallica doing? 
Not sorry, Mitaka. Aerosmith. Sorry, I mean uh, uh, Aerosmith is is doing well. Started off a little slow, but once people got the touch and feel and play it, um, it's really picked up. And uh, uh, I'm getting shipments in once a week or so, and they're they're going right back out. I finally managed to get an LE on my showroom floor. Um, I got a shipment of pros in that came in uh, yesterday morning or day before, and I uh, um, was hoping to get one of those on my showroom floor. But it's looking like those are going to sell out probably tomorrow, and I'm going to be back, back to being back ordered on them again. It's you know I really think Aerosmith is going to be one of those sleeper hits of the year that nobody really saw coming. Everyone was sort of complaining about the theme, and the more people play it, I, I've been reading the the pin side threads. It's just this game's fun. This game's fun. This could be one of Borg's best games ever. So, uh, uh, yeah, it looks great too. I think it, I I think it's actually Stern's best art package ever. I and I love Zombietti to death, and I love Ghostbusters, but I think Donnie just crushed it on Aerosmith. Uh, I'm going to go with Ghostbusters being a better art package because I, I like the Ghostbusters a little more than I like the Aerosmith. But uh, I was really surprised. I was one of the guys out there that would have told you that uh, Dirty Donnie and Aerosmith don't mix. That's 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 like oil and water. Right. Uh, but Donnie did it, and that shows the, 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 the strength in his artwork and his ability to, to really do something with it because I would never have thought that Dirty Donnie and Aerosmith as an art package would click. Right. Let's talk about the probably the most prevalent thing people talk about when it comes to buying pinball machines and that's the price of pinball machines these days what are your thoughts on where the prices are going do you feel the prices are turning more people off from pinball or do you think there's still a good enough variety of of entry points to to keep it viable for 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 the for people that come into game exchange so your your general buyers um both used and new pinballs have gotten expensive. As, as new pinballs go up, so do used pinballs. Um, and used pinballs, I'm sure as you guys have seen, have been increasing at a faster rate than new pinballs have been. Um, you know, it's hard to find a decent DMD title out there, uh, you know, for, for, for less than two grand. Um, yeah. and, that, and that's hard because your general buyer who wants to come in and get into pinball wants something that's, that's five to ten years old um, with, an, with a decent theme that they can buy the family. But he doesn't want to spend... 3500 bucks on it and that's unfortunately where that has kind of become now by the time i put the the the, the 30 hours of labor into it to get it on my showroom floor and the led kit to make it look pretty and um you know do all those things i'm having to charge 3500 bucks for for a for a five seven eight ten year old uh, dmd title and that's that's hard um, because i'm buying them basically the same prices that, that are they're being sold on pen site out there nowadays right and then what about just the price of premiums and LEs now, and you know everything's getting that eight nine thousand dollar range. Are you are you getting less people interested at that price point, or, or is I've always said guys who can spend seven can spend nine on the pinball. You know, for me it's like I love these guys who are like my my limit sixty five hundred at seven I'm out. You know, it's like come on, really. Um, I've certainly seen. Uh... Guys have have gotten out of either gotten out of pinball or stepped back to premiums who were always LE guys or guys that were premium guys that would flip back to uh, um, pros because let's face it most of us have a significant other we have to answer to for our addictions and uh, um, I heard a guy tell me one last year at TPF he says you know he brings his wife to TPF she goes across the street to the mall for two days it costs him three thousand dollars. Now he just bought an LE for me. It was at Ghostbusters at the show, and um, now he's going to probably have to go have to buy her a car or something just to keep her <laughs> happy. And we all have somebody to answer to. So that's 
it's a double-edged sword when it comes out. You got to buy a new furniture set for the wife to keep her happy, or you got to you know buy her a new Louis Vuitton purse. Right. And, and that's well, not the only cost on it. So. Well, it 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 um it adds up quick too. I mean, I'm I'm looking at what I'm considering, and and obviously I'm really excited about the next Stern title coming out. I'm also considering uh, dialed in, um, and I look at I look at it now, and it's like wow, like. You can literally spend, you can buy three games and spend the price of a, of a Honda Civic Type R. And it's like three pinball machines. And yes, they will probably hold their value better than the car. Uh, but for me, that's sort of what I struggle with is there's a point of diminishing return in terms of the fun factor. Once you start getting into that level where you've got $100,000 in your game room and is it giving you the the satisfaction, right, of, 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 of having that much invested? And and I agree, it's an addiction and it's a hard one to shake. I, I don't know how to shake it. I The only thing that keeps my addiction at bay is I have a one-bedroom apartment in New York City. That's it. <laughs> uh, so you're, you're limited not, not necessarily by money but by space. And there are Ex- others out there that are, that Ex- are the same way. Exactly. And it is, it is a blessing in disguise um, because... Uh, Brenda will tell you this. I, if I had another room, it would have like eight pinball machines in it by now. And I'm thankful that this sort of limitation keeps my addiction at bay. Uh, because I see guys, I mean, I, some guys sent me pictures last night of his, it was like you walk into his house and there's just games everywhere, like right in the entryway. Uh, it's just in, in, incredible. It's, uh, but you know, I think it's a, a really fun hobby to be a part of it. And JJ, like, what are your thoughts on all these manufacturers, though? Because you know, you you handle two manufacturers who have deep pockets who know what they're doing. Do you think all these guys are these other guys are going to survive the next few years? I think you're going to see maybe one out of three of them survive um, that, that that are currently of the the smaller manufacturers, kind of upstart manufacturers. I think you're going to see. Um, one out of out of three of those survive, and and I won't say necessarily which one I think it's going to be, but um, I think you're only going to see one. Yeah, I I I agree. I don't know if we 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 agree on this which one we're talking about, uh, but the more I look at just how difficult it is to actually manufacture a pinball machine from the ground up, uh, that coupled with the fact that Stern is just this. It's just this monster with like all these great themes and and the cadence at which they release. Uh, you know, you're just getting hit by like eight blows in a row by the time you can get one machine out the door. Uh, I think it's going to be hard, and I think also what's going to make it much harder for these new companies to succeed. I I really think Stern has upped their game, and 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 I say that because I think a few years ago. Stern was kind of cutting corners and mailing it in a little bit, and they weren't quite investing in making the machines as amazing as they could. And they woke up, right? They woke up. Now it's like the art's great, this LCD is great. There's now now there's even like a mirrored back glass on Aerosmith, right? They're listening to what people demand for the money, and the, and they're delivering. And I just think it's going to get better and better. Um, I agree, and I think uh, we, you know, the pinball community owes a lot to Jack for that. Is he proved to Stern that you really can sell a machine for seven thousand um, dollars and still do it? Where you know before that nobody thought that could be done. Um, there was a market out why there. Why do you think? Why do you? So we're in, again as a car as a car nut. Why why do people think that way about pinball? Because I've always said it. 
why there needs to be like a Rolls Royce or Bugatti in pinball? And look, J Pop had the right idea. That was J Pop. He sold out in one day without even a machine, right? At sixteen grand. Um, so I think that I think the market is wide open for that super high end machine. And look, if Stern wants to make it, they could easily make it. I mean, imagine if Stern said, "Look, we're going to make just a hundred Jaws machines." And they're going to be fifty thousand each. <laughs> I, I just, I think they sell. I, I really do. I, there's and enough. They proved they could do the Ferrari or the Bugatti with with the the Batman Super Ellie. Um, they proved that they could successfully market that and make it happen. And uh, um, you know, had you told me five years ago you were going to do it for fifteen thousand and 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 sell eighty machines, I'd have laughed at you. Well, but, I would see. I would argue that. They, yes, they sold every one, but I think that Stern's next Super LE has to bring more to the table, right? And, I, and I've been talking to Super LE guys, and they're all kind of like, yeah, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm happy, but, like, there's that but, right? And when you buy a Bugatti or Rolls Royce, you can't have the butts. And I, and I think Stern... Um, I think they tested the market. I think they found the market. Uh, what they're going to have to do next time around is, is just get the quality of those Super LEs and, and, and put stuff in it that really feels special and unique versus just cosmetic only. Um, and, you know, look, but but part of me is like, man, but Chris, what are you talking about? They don't even need to do that because they just proved that they didn't need to do that, right? So it's like, uh, you never know. You never know. I hope they do because when I look at like a dialed in, man, that, that feels... Fifteen thousand dollars plus next to a super elite Batman. I think they need to differentiate the model certainly more, and I think that's kind of what you're saying. They need to yeah. have. Yep. And, and Chicago Gaming Planetary did that on on uh, the Attack of Mars LE. I mean, they, that game came with a, a beautiful topper and mirror blades and extra, you know, extra lighting features, and they just there's some extra differentiation there um, that I would like to see continue in the market from all manufacturers, where instead of just uh, you know, some powder coating and a mirrored back glass and things like that that both Jack and Stern does. Maybe they could come out with, um, you know, the the, the the interactive lighting around the lights, uh, right. uh, interactive tar, uh, toppers, uh, you know, under cab lighting, leg lighting, some, some more things to differentiate the games than right. just uh, a, a nice badge and powder coating. Right. Well, when I was talking to Gomez, what was interesting, and, and I think Stern is exploring this, is... You know, when you, when you go in to order a Porsche, you can put whatever you want on it, and you can almost double the price of your 911. Uh, I think Stern will will continue to allow customers to customize their machines, and even make certain customizations exclusive, right, to those LE and Super LE buyers. Um, that would, again, because if you're spending fifteen thousand dollars, I think those guys too don't just want to have the same exact game as everyone else at that price point because there's you know there that at that at that level customization is what you should get um with your machine so but i get why it's hard because stern's also very successful because of the assembly line and so for that premium price that game's got to be yanked off the line and it's got to have white glove service sort of implementing those mods uh, but that's just like autos like that you know that's what amg does they don't they they're a separate entity within mercedes 
they're going to have to have, and they have the ability, they have multiple lines in their building, so maybe they need to have a line that's the custom line. Yep. Um, you know, it's like a separate building. <laughs> the guys at Pinball Refinery prove there is a market there for that. Um, you know, all of us distributors have done a couple of those, but those guys did far more of them, of, of the refinery additions and things um, that you could that you could pick options and things on. Um, and it'd be kind of nice to see Stern get into that market. Um, yeah. But they they would have to be able to do it in their current line, and they either need to do it um, or, or they don't. But maybe you let, you know, once again, have the, the Stern accessories, then have the distributors installing those like you do at car dealerships where you're, your mud flaps and your uh, remote start module and your your spoiler are all uh, you know dealer accessories. Right. Well, I, I agree, and I think you know maybe one day Stern will partner with like a pinball refinery too because Shelby is a separate entity from Ford, and and, and they've combined forces. Um, let's see. So JJ, what advice would you give listeners of this show uh, who don't want to get left out? on the next new hot titles coming down the road? Should they contact you? Should you, they wait? What's the, should they call around to see like how many people are on certain lists? Like what, what, what is your advice for people who want to get in on stuff? So, so talk to the distributor you trust, um, whether that's me or whether it's one of the other guys. Um, I know I'm not everybody's uh, first distributor because they've worked with other guys and they trust other guys and I got to respect that. Um, so talk to your distributors. But when you're, when you're kind of asking these guys, um, Find out how many people are on their list. If they won't tell you how many people are on their list, and, and if they won't tell you how many um, LEs in the past they've gotten and what, kind of what they're expecting on this, that's of concern because you could get left out in it. Um, and, and remember, it's, it's, it's a bit of a red flag if they're asking you for money right now um, because they're really not supposed to be. Um, um, and it could result in them getting a lower allocation um, uh, if uh, the manufacturers find out. Right. Okay. Now, I think it's good advice. So for listeners out there, you guys know it's coming. You better you better be picking up the phones. I mean, I don't want to hear any crybabies come May 4th and everyone's like, I didn't know this was coming out. And <laughs> we've been telling you for a long time. Now, do you think Stern is taking it to the Star Wars convention next week? Like anything, like a video or anything? No, I think their original plan was to do something at that show, but... Uh um, things didn't work out in, in that way, um, and it, it kind of leaked out that this was happening, and it wasn't. Um, I've talked to my contacts at Stern, and uh, was given permission to go on to Penn Science and say, listen, guys, it's not happening. Because I had several customers, uh, one guy in D.C. who was telling me he's going to uh, drive down and be at the show because he wants to check it out, and he's a big Star Wars nut. So he's like, you know, I'll enjoy the show anyhow. I'll make the 16-hour drive down to Florida and check the game out. And I'm thinking, man, if this isn't happening, how angry would you be if you just drove 16 hours to see something and it's not there? Yeah. Um, so I reached out to Stern and asked that question. And I was told, uh, I assured that they would not be going to uh, uh, the show there that, um, and that uh, um, it, it was on the plan list, but it never come to fruition. All right. Well, listeners, you heard it there. And I... I heard the same thing too. Even though I put up my Star Wars podcast a, a few days ago, confirming it. <laughs> Here's what I heard, and and this is what I, my sources are telling me, is that was the original plan, that Disney wanted them to be part of it, uh, and the game they're just not ready quite yet. Uh, but I also heard the real reason is, and look, this makes sense. They they still want to sell Aerosmith and they want the, the spotlight to be on Aerosmith for a little bit longer because they know they could announce Star Wars whenever and it doesn't matter 
But if they go too far in front now, they will hurt Aerosmith sales. So what's the point of doing that? Um, I do think that May 4th, though, there will be the teaser video. I, I, they can't not be on that day. Do you think May 4th, JJ, will see that little, like, whatever they've put together with Disney to just tease what's coming? I think you'll see a teaser video somewhere around that time, um, and then uh, you know a little more concrete information probably um, a, a period after that. Is the rumor some June, July? Are we thinking? I don't think it's going to be that far out. Um, usually in the history of Stern, it's usually teaser video, and usually it's uh, three to seven days um, away from uh, full release. Um, is how they usually do it. Well, when you say release, full announcement, right, where you see the whole game and everything, uh, I'm, t I'm talking game shipping. Uh, I think you're accurate on that. I think, uh, you know, in the history of Stern, that's about right. Usually they're, they're, they're 30 to 45 days away from uh, uh, production when they, when they release the pictures and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Well, JJ, this has been great. We were at the hour mark. I always try to keep these interviews around an hour, also just to respect my guests and, and give you guys your evenings back so your wives don't break up with you because you're talking on pinball podcasts. Um, JJ, I want to really thank you for being on the show. I also just want to thank you for being just an, an amazing dude, a complete class act, a gentleman. It was great seeing you at TPF, um, and I was so happy when you pulled your list up and I was on it, and I'll tell you why, because it is nerve-wracking when you call people up really early and you, you express interest, and, and then people tell you, yeah, you're on the list, but you, you, know, you never really feel you're on a list because you haven't given any money, and I didn't give you any money, and I, was just, I just gave you my, my, my wishes, and man, it was, it was so awesome. Like JJ whips out his iPad, and he's got like the list, and it's like money doesn't infiltrate his word which i i just have to commend you for being such a, a stand-up guy when it comes to this stuff well thank you for that and thanks for having me on the show it was a, a good time i always like to talk pinball so all right and listener of the show jj's your guy i mean he's being bashful about it but if you want to go in and find a great distributor that you can build a relationship with for years um this guy's your man and it don't matter where you live i'm t you can live anywhere like he'll get you your game <laughs> so um Check out the Game Exchange in Denver, Colorado. Make sure you look up Game Exchange in Denver, Colorado, because I know there's some like Game Exchange website that just buys old video games. That's not them, um, right? What's the website for Game Exchange? It, it's gameexchange.biz.biz. Okay, easy enough. All right, well, JJ, thanks for your time. We're gonna get this up pretty soon, and um, I'm excited. I think it's a great. It's a great year for Stern, and, and, and you're one of the top dogs, and I think business is going to be booming, and we look forward to, uh, to talking to you again soon. Definitely, buddy, and talk to you again soon as well. All right, JJ. All right. All right.